Welcome to a day of prayer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Together, let's engage in relationship with Christ through prayer and His Word. Amen. He is coming back soon. And the question is, will we do His will? Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now in the scripture, Paul is writing to us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind to prove what the will of God is. Renewal, or renovation, implies a freshness from an original state. Being transformed by the renewal of the mind indicates a literal change in the form of formulas of thought, or what we would call thought patterns, in an individual, their being. This describes God's redemptive provision of power to instill godliness in us. God's wonder-working power transforms the way we hear, know, think, believe, and speak. Because when you hear different, you know or understand differently. When you know or understand differently, you think differently. And when you think different, you believe differently. When you believe differently, you speak differently. And when you speak differently, you will live, you will do differently. Which takes us right back to hearing differently. Which, as Romans 10.17 says, is how faith comes, or faith arises. All of which shapes our life and sets our course for the future. Which, as we find in Romans 8.29, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, we've all had this moment in life in which something has happened, a conversation or an event, which causes you to see something or someone in a whole new way. Your vision, your knowledge, your understanding has been completely changed. Everyone, Each and every one of us has had multiple moments like that in our lives. Typically around, while well, this is not the NLB all, sometimes traumatic events. And traumatic events typically in the form of unexpected surprises, betrayal, or devastating loss. Now, months prior to the Lord calling us back here, I realized that he was calling us back to this place, this church, and that he wanted us to do something different with us. So we were seeking him, not for us, but for everyone, the people, on what he wanted to do. However, there was a very distinct thing he said, and it was, is it too late to see Christ with new eyes? And I wasn't really sure what that meant initially. What do you mean? Everybody sees Christ with new eyes, especially when they come to him. So I didn't really know or understand. But then when we arrived here, I was having a conversation with a, another brother. And, and this is an individual who 
has been in ministry for a long time, and he said that his church was doing a corporate fast. And they were just a few days in. And he said something that surprised me. He said, I've consecrated myself, which also happened to align with the focus for that day, his prayer. Consecration, consecrating himself. And as a result of that, it caused him to see Christ in a whole new way. Unlike anything that he was had been aware of in the past. And it really was surprising because, as I said, this brother has been in what's referred to as professional ministry, right? For decades. And as I came home from this this meeting, this interaction with this brother, the Lord reminded me of what he had already spoken to me about here. So the question I want to ask you, which is also the title of this message, this teaching, is, is it too late to see Christ with new eyes? Now, if you listen to my story of this interaction, the short answer is no. Every person who's come into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ when he became their Lord and Savior, or the Lord and Savior of their life, has seen him in a different light. However, we are to move from that is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to prove what the will of God is. And to do so requires us, as we see in Hebrews 4, 13 through 14, to move from milk to solid food. So please, if you would, turn with me to Ezekiel 11, and we will begin in verse 14. Now I'm sure if, some, if any of you are familiar with the book of Ezekiel, you're probably thinking, why are we going to Ezekiel? What does that have to do with renewal and our minds? Being able to see Christ in new eyes. Because on the surface, Ezekiel looks negative. There is a lot of judgment, death, and destruction that take place in the book. However, we can choose to focus on the negative, although I would hope and what we should do instead is bring the focus onto what God is trying to share with us and teach us today. Because we can still learn in the midst of difficult situations. Amen? Amen. Alright, so, beginning in verse 14. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, your brothers, your relatives, your fellow exiles, and the whole house of Israel, all of them, are those whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Go far from the Lord. This land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore, say, Thus says the Lord God, Though I had removed them far away among the nations, and though I had scattered them among the countries, yet I was a sanctuary for them a little while in the countries where they had gone. Therefore, say, Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered. And I will give you the land of Israel. When they come there, they will remove all its detestable things and all its abominations from it. And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them that they will be my people, and I shall be their God. But as for those whose hearts go after their detestable things and abominations, I will bring their conduct down on their heads. 
declares the Lord God. Then the cherubim lift up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the Lord of Israel hovered over them. The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain which is east of the city. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God to the exiles in Chaldea. So the vision that I had seen left me. Then I told the exiles all the things the Lord had shown me. Now did everyone see or hear that? Do you understand what just happened in that section of scripture? Even in the midst of judgment and destruction, the Lord still promised them restoration. He, the Lord, addressed the people in exile, which may be the place or the situation you find yourself in today. Whether that is because you've never had a relationship with Christ, or you prayed a prayer to make Him Lord and Savior, and now we're wondering how you got to this place. All you can see around you is death and destruction. You're asking yourself, how can this be? I'll tell you that no matter where you are, the Lord is still with you. And He's promised that to all who are His. He's still with you. We see that in verse 16. It says, He, the Lord, will be a little sanctuary to them even while they are still in exile. In other words, wherever you find yourself. But that still leaves the question, and we must ask ourselves this question. How did we get here? Or what brought us to these circumstances? We must ask this because most people have the thought or perspective that God has trying to hurt them or keep them out of the blessing. They had head knowledge of the blessing, but they don't really believe that what God says is true. Or in other words, they would not spend so much time feeling like they have to make the blessing for themselves, either because they think that God will, or He cannot do it, or God won't, excuse me, or He can't do it. For example, take Sarah in Genesis 17 and 18. And then contrast that to what was accounted to her in Hebrews 11, 11. We have to know how God really feels about us and what his desire toward us truly is. He wants us to have, one, to be blessed and have life and then have it more abundantly. Amen. And we can see this exact feeling in verse 15. The people were already blessed before they were sent into exile. They were already living in the land that God had promised the blessing. We see that at the beginning of chapter 11. Ezekiel is standing in Jerusalem at, on the east gate of the house of the Lord, of the temple. They're already there. They're already living in the land that God had promised a blessing. So he already kept his promise to Israel, to Abraham, for everyone. We're already living in the blessing that God had for their lives. But also in verse 15, you can see that the blessing of the Lord became the focus rather than the giver of the blessing, which is the Lord. And they felt like they didn't need him. They didn't need the Lord anymore, or so they thought. And they thought that they could just go away from him and still have the blessing without him. All of the benefit and none of the relationship. And then the Lord addresses the people in exile by saying, Sanctify yourself. Remove 
all the abominations and detestable things from your presence. In other words, leave all the things that don't reflect Christ in our lives in exile. And come out from among them into a right relationship with the Lord. That's how God designed and intended it to be. That is kingdom living. That is being kingdom minded. We can see Christ with new eyes. When we see him for who he is and we are accurately aware of our place and our relationship with him. When the relationship is out of order, not because, it's not because God did anything against us, but because we have done something to remove ourselves out of how God purposed the human relationship to be. This is what produces captivity and exile. Amen. We'll go into a quick synopsis of how the God-human relationship works. God said, I will be their God, and they will be my people. You shall have no other gods before me. He is God and must be God alone in your life. Nothing and no one can sit in his place. And you can trace that all the way back to Adam and Eve, Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. You can argue they desired the blessing more than they desired God. It led to their captivity. They became a slave to the sin nature and ultimately they were exiled from the blessing. The garden. God's plan always includes restoration. He loves you. He wants to bless you. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. When we look at exile, we have to look at how far away we have gone. And in this section of Scripture, the Lord is speaking to Ezekiel in chapter 11. And as I said before, you stand, Ezekiel is standing at the east gate of the Lord's house, which is in Jerusalem. And then when we look at the last couple verses of that section of Scripture, he is lifted by the Lord and moved to Chaldea. Now, Chaldea is a very significant place in the Bible. Uh, modern day, it is in uh, Iraq or Iraq, as most people would, would recognize it. But Chaldea is also when we read in scripture about Babylon, it is where Babylon was located. And the significance is not just because it's Babylon, it's traced it back even further, it's known to be the birthplace of Abram, later to be known as Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. So if we look at this, because the people were so wrapped up by sin, they found themselves, and by so wrapped up by sin, I mean captivity, bondage as a result of it, and then ultimately exiled, they found themselves in the same place they were when the Lord called them into a relationship with himself. It took them all the way back to square one where they were before they were called a nation. Now, don't just take my word for it. Let's... If we turn to Genesis chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 27 through 32 real quick. It says, Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, 
and Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. They went as far as Haran and settled there. Days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And then in Genesis 12, 1 through 4, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him And Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Sorry. Oh, yes. And then in Genesis 15, 6 and 7, it says, Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. So this is the second place that you may find yourself. The land of Haran. As we said, Abraham, or Abram, excuse me, later known as Abraham, was not the first person called out from Ur of the Chaldeans. And it's the land of promise. As we see in scripture, Abraham's father, Abram, later to be Abraham's father, Terah, was the first one called. He was the first one to leave home. He was called first, but he did not finish the journey or the fullness of what God had intended for him to do. How does that apply to us? Well, God has a plan for each and every one of us. He has a journey. He has a path. Are you willing to go the whole way? Because if you look at this, you almost miss Torah in scriptures. God doesn't point them out to you. If he doesn't reveal this to you. Torah was almost removed all the way from the purpose of what God was willing to give him because he was not willing to go all the way with God. He was not willing to finish the work that God had called him to do. The contrast between Abraham and Torah was this. Torah was content with not completing the journey that the Lord sent him on. And Abraham wanted the fullness of what God had for him and pressed on to complete the journey and become the father of many nations. Abraham wanted it all, and he went the whole way. So if this is where you find yourself, I want to encourage you. Continue to move forward. Continue to press on in Christ because the Lord has so much more for you.
Press on until you arrive in the promised land, which can only happen when we put the Lord in His rightful place. The rightful place in our life, living a Christ-centered life. Only then can the Lord restore you to your rightful place in His kingdom. Let's, let's do a quick recap. First place, or the first thing, exile took us back to the land of Chaldea. Square one. Right, removed far from the Lord, so far from the Lord, that we are back in the place where we were called from. And then we've just wrapped up Haran. It's a complacency. The place we've become content with and refuse to continue the journey. And now, we are going to arrive at the third place, which we discover in Ezekiel 36, verse 1, where he is told to prophesy to the mountains of Israel. The third place is this. It is the land of promise. The place that the Lord has set for you and intends to immensely bless and bless you in. The land flowing with milk and honey. But here's the thing. There's still work to be done. There are still things to overcome. Mountains, if you will, in your way. And we can find that in Exodus 23, 20 through 33, and Deuteronomy 7 through 22. In these scriptures, the children receive the same promise that we are about to look at in Ezekiel 36. It is a promise of renewal. We'll begin in verse 16, if everybody's there. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their way, excuse me, before me, was like the uncleanliness of a woman in her impurity. Therefore, I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed out in the land because they had defiled it with their idols. Also, I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the lands according to their ways and their deeds. I judged them. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name because it was said of them, These are the people of the Lord. They have come out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate, vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned, among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Right. Now we can look at this a couple of different ways, but we can look at it as the Lord is trying to beat them over the head. Right? He's bringing up the past, but that's not the case. He's not bringing up the past to beat them over the head with it. But like all things, if a child, if your, if your child acts up and goes outside of what you have stated as the structure for your home, those things need to be addressed, do they not? So he's addressing it with them because it is good for them, as we see in Philippians 3.1. Because the Lord doesn't just throw a blanket over our sins. He absolutely forgives but he also deals with it so that we are able to move on. We can go free. 
It's not something that someone can, well, as you see in, in society, 10, 20, 30, however many years later, someone is trying to expose something from your past. But in this section of scripture, you can see the state of the body of Christ. Because we, the body of Christ, we're refusing to move forward with the Lord. And by that, I mean move on to the things that he has purposed for us to do, which resulted in our being put in exile. It was because of our own disobedience. As a result of our own disobedience, we profaned the name of the Lord before the lost, before those who are not yet believers. Disobedience distorts our view of the Lord. It taints our vision of him so that we can't see him clearly. It distorts our view so that we are not able to see him for who he really is. If we proclaim to be his children, or sorry, if we who proclaim to be his children refuse to see him for who he really is, how can anyone see him for who he truly is through us? Are you showing a tainted image of the Lord to those around you. We are, if we choose not to move forward in obedience and to the commandment of love that we have received from the Lord. By choosing to move forward in the love commandment and by choosing to move forward in all the Lord has called us to do in Him, only then we are blessed and blessing His holy name instead of profaning it. Also, by moving forward in love and obedience, not only do we see Christ for who he is, but others see him for who he is as well. Through us. And it also eliminates the ability for those that are not yet believers to accuse the body of Christ of hypocrisy, which you may recognize by some of the following statements. And they claim they're a Christian. They call themselves a child of God. Any of us heard any of these? I would hope that we don't hear them again. At least not said about us. But after addressing this matter, the Lord continues to discuss renewal. Starting in verse 24. For I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people, and I will be your God. Now in this, the Lord is renewing the covenant that he made with them. Because they are starting, they are getting to the point where they can see who God is. They are beginning, they are starting to see Christ with new eyes. Because we see him for who he is, the blessing continues. But this section of scripture is only the start of what the Lord intends to do and how he renews his people. 
we continue to read through the rest of Ezekiel and in the Old Testament, we'll discover all the things that the people thought were lost forever were restored in Christ. Chapter 37, new life is given to the valley of dry bones and a new covenant is made with the people. In chapter 38, yep, there's resistance. People encounter uh, the armies of God, Gog, excuse me, and they come across physical attacks, which the Lord then completely destroys in chapter 39. And that is the start to how the Lord fully restores the nation of Israel to the land of promise. For Ezekiel is then given a vision of the new city of Jerusalem and the new temple, the house of the Lord, which is how God intended our relationship to be as understood by the Apostle Peter. Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. So you may be asking yourself, what are some steps that I can take to implement my, in my life to see Christ with new eyes and live out being the people of God while not all-encompassing? Here are a few things that you can focus on as you go about your day and your week. Now this doesn't take away from the fact that the first step is repentance. So that the Lord can forgive us. We must repent of what we have done. And yes, we do need to remove those things from our lives. And if we were already have already made Christ our Lord and Savior, well then yes, maybe we need to come and rededicate our lives. But that's the first step. What do we do after that? First thing I'll give you is Restore God to his rightful place of authority in your life. Make him the decision maker concerning everything you do. Say, think, and feel. And agree to do what you find in his word. Two, forgive anyone that you have any ought towards. It doesn't matter how big, how great, how small, how long ago it was. Because God said to, that way he can forgive you and restore you to your rightful place. Three, don't doubt God's love for you and his desire for you to succeed. He knows the plans that he has for you to give you a future and a hope and an expected end. Four, walk in love towards the people around you, leaving the best about them. Five, confess that you know and believe his love for you and that it is good. I want you to repeat this next part after me. I know and believe God's love for me. And it is good and good for me. I believe that he is the captain of my life. And he has my best interest at heart. As you go about your week, say those things out loud to yourself when you look in the mirror or as you go about your day. 
as it says in Philippians, they are safe for you to repeat them. And the last thing is, see God, see the Lord Jesus Christ for who he truly is. He is the loving Father who has already moved heaven and earth to find you. And he is the kind Lord and Savior who leads you into green pastures and restores your soul for his name's sake. Amen? Amen. 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 Amen.